sounds good. All right? Y'all ready to get in the Word this morning? So let's do it. This morning, I want to speak to you on the subject of seven habits of highly effective Christians. The seven habits of highly effective Christians. And uh, I, I, I called up Stephen Covey and I asked him if he would mind if I kind of tweaked his uh, famous millions bestseller book. And, uh, you know, he didn't mind. He's a good Mormon, and uh, he didn't mind sharing uh, his title with me and allowing me to tweak it for use in our setting this morning. So I've changed it around, and uh, I'm calling this the seven habits of a highly effective believer or a Christian. So, you know, uh, we, we frequently use this phrase. Uh, we, we know that the Scripture tells us that, that our objective and our goal for every one of us who love Jesus is to one day when the Lord takes us home, and we see Jesus face to face, we want to hear a certain comment from Jesus. There's a phrase that, that is biblical, but we often exchange it. What is it that we want to hear him say? Well done, my good and faithful servant. How many of you say, I'd like to hear those words? Huh? I want to hear those words. So do I. But you know what? Uh, hearing those words from Jesus as we enter into our eternal home with him is not just going to happen automatically. In fact, what it does is it puts a demand upon how we live now. And I'm convinced that our lifestyle today, how we live, is greatly governed by the habits that we develop. All of us understand what habits are. We have good habits. We have bad habits. Did you know that there are some Christian habits that we need to develop and work at in our lives? And habits, as you well know, are not things that you, uh, you, you all of a sudden have a habit with one experience, right? No, uh, just because you eat spinach once a year does not make a habit of eating good vegetables, all right? You have to develop it by repeated, regular use. And so that is the nature of a habit. So today, what we're going to be doing is turning to a scripture that I want to take today and use as, a, as not just a suggestion, but actually in the form of a command of certain things that we need to do as believers in our life and in our church life that will help us to develop the right kind of habits as Christians, all right? So the text that I'd like to use this morning is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, well-known verses from verse 16 through verse 22. If you have your Bibles, you may use those, your devices, your tablets, that's fine. But this is brief enough, short enough of a text that I've actually put it on the screen so that you can see it with me. And I'd like to actually ask you, it's brief enough. A lot of times we'll use a pretty long text, and it's, it, it'd be a lot to ask you to say it with me. This is short enough that we can all say it together, all right? Now, you say, I'm not used to doing that. Well, today we're, we're introducing new... Uh, participative worship, all right? So that means you all get to say this scripture with me in unison, all right? Y'all ready? Here we go. Say it with me. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. How many think that, that is packed, isn't it? I mean, those few verses are packed. 
packed with stuff. And so what I'd like to suggest to you is that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 22, there are some wonderful things, some principles that are actually should be applied to our life as a part of our daily habits. Now, many times when we turn to a scripture, we just turn to a verse, we jerk it right out of the Bible, and we say, that's for me, and that, that's okay sometimes. But when you really learn to be a student of the Bible, it's important that you do a little bit of deeper digging to find out, well, who were these people that originally the Apostle Paul, in this case, was writing this to? And does that affect the meaning of it for us? All right, That's called Bible study. Bible study. It may be a new thing to you, but it's really good to do, all right? So what I thought, I'd just remind you a little bit about the history of the church here in Thessalonica and, and, and how that that might connect to what we have already read today. Uh, I put on the screen a map just to give you uh, some reference points uh, uh, for the second missionary journey of Paul. This is where he stopped by this city called Thessalonica. So this was this was a letter that we read here in First Thessalonians. This was a letter that was written because of his founding of a church that you can read about it, and really it's about in the first number of verses in Acts chapter 17. And so we find that on his missionary journey, Paul traveled, and you may just locate, you see at the top of the map of uh, kind of on the on the east side, you see Philippi, the northeast there, the city of Philippi. You see then southwest of that is Thessalonica. So Paul had just Paul and Silas had just been in Philippi. We know they had quite an experience there and helping to get a new group of believers founded there. And they had gone from Philippi. Now they've gone to Thessalonica. Well, when they showed up at Thessalonica, they uh, began to share the Messiah in the synagogues, and there were some Jews that came to faith. And then in addition to that, there were some Gentiles and Greeks that had come to faith in Jesus. But, but things got stirred up. And boy, I mean, uh, trouble began to break out. Uh, they began to be persecuted. And uh, Paul actually left only after a number of weeks. We don't know, somewhere between three weeks and maybe three months that he was there in, uh, in Thessalonica. And he left basically trying to scurry out of town under great duress. Persecution broke out very quick. You may remember the reference there as it speaks about those from the house of Jason. And it said that they were, they, these were, I mean, these were radical. They must have gotten radically saved. You know the difference? Someone really gets radically saved. I mean, it's like their life just all of a sudden, man, I mean, they're just excited for Jesus. They're just, they're turned on, they're on fire. Well, in this particular setting, you may remember the phrase that says that the people from that particular household, it said that they were so, so radical for Jesus that they were turning their world upside down. That's what people said about them. They're turning the world upside down. Now, we all know that they're really turning it right side up. Am I right? Isn't that right? How many you know today the world needs a little turning right side up? Out, right so it, it, what this speaks to us is wow there was these people that really caught the real thing all right they were serious but the the backlash from others was strong and so as a result of that paul had to get out of town quickly and so as a result uh several months later he uh, had continued his travels along with uh, along with silas and and timothy and he and he was concerned about this church back in thessalonica um, and so he actually sent Timothy back to get a report. He said, I need to know what's going on. So he 
kind of sent Timothy back and came back with a report, and that is what motivated him to pen 1 Thessalonians and to write this letter of encouragement to these believers. Now, we're not going to obviously cover the whole book of 1 Thessalonians, but I did want to give you that background because what I do believe is that the jealousy that had been raised among the Jews to the point that the new disciples here were being persecuted and, uh, and under severe treatment is relevant to what we just read here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. All right, so what I've done is I've taken those verses that we found there in 16 through 22 that we read, and I've broken it down into seven habits, all right? Because of the nature of the way that the language is written here, I really believe that these are to be habits for all of us, all right? So I'm going to take them one by one. They're very straightforward. They're very simple. They're not necessarily easy to apply, but they are simple, all right? So you ready for these? Number one, and I've reframed them just in my own language, all right? Number one, be joyful. Be joyful. Dick text says in verse 16, rejoice always. Rejoice always. When? Always. always. This is backed up, of course, in other places in the Bible. In Philippians 4, 4, the apostle Paul said to the church at Philippi, what? Rejoice in the Lord always. And if that wasn't enough, he had to repeat it. And I will say it again, rejoice. How many think he was trying to get a point across? He's saying one of the characteristics of a believer, one of the habits of a true believer, is we ought to be joyful and rejoicing. The nature of this, though, we need to understand is it's not naturally convenient. It doesn't just happen. We have to choose it to happen. By the way, this this particular verse, as well as the following few verses, are, are written in an imperative form. In other words, it's saying this isn't an option. This isn't something you ought to just think about. It's written as a command. In other words, rejoice. This is my command to you. Rejoice. Also notice the, the way that the, the language is written. It is a present tense, meaning that it is to be continual action. That's why I use the idea of it being a habit. It's not just today, on Sundays, rejoice. It's not saying that. That's the only time some of y'all rejoice, just on Sundays, when you're in church, at least. But, but we're supposed to be rejoicing all the time. This is to be an ongoing, regular habit for us as believers. This kind of rejoicing, being joyful, requires a firm decision. It is an act of your will. I would actually remind you that it really is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. In order for you to exhibit and exercise and see growing in your life a fruit of the Spirit, it takes a decision for you to allow that fruit to have its way. That means you're suppressing those natural carnal appetites and desires, and you're allowing the joy that is on the inside of you because the Holy Spirit is there as a Christian. So you want the joy that's already embedded on the inside of you. You want to give it room to grow. And so by you choosing to rejoice regularly, you allow that to grow. This church is very important for you to know. This church that he's writing to was facing tough times. Things were not easy. Life was not easy and simple for this church. And in the face of it, what did Paul say? Well, I'm feeling really sorry for y'all. Man, I know it's tough. And did he give in to that? No, what did he do? He said, 
Rejoice. Rejoice always. Rejoice. Even when you're being persecuted, I would venture to say no one in this room has faced the level of persecution for your faith that these Thessalonians were facing. Am I right? There might be an exception. If so, I want to hear your story later. But I venture to say none of us in this room have faced that level of persecution. I I can tell you that I've been uh, imprisoned twice for my faith, but neither one of them lasted more than 24 hours. So I don't think I even came close. Never came close. And one of them was my fault. But anyway, we won't get into all that. So, But it says, be joyful. Rejoice. And, and, and so we need to remember that even last week we talked about joy as a result of Easter and the encounter that Jesus had with his disciples on the Emmaus Road and, and how that there was joy that was released in their heart with him. God wants us to be a joyful people. And being joyful and rejoicing should be a continual habit in our lives. I love what John Piper says. He says, um, uh, speaking about rejoicing and, and, and having the right kind of attitude, he says, uh, he speaks about the fact that everybody has an accent. Have you ever noticed that? People from different parts of the country have an accent. Uh, if you listen really closely to me, sometimes you'll hear a Texas twang. Just li- you know, listen to it. You'll hear a little certain word. You'll hear that little twang. That's because you know, spent a good part of my life in Texas. Now, you listen to Carrie, you'll hear it continually. So she's, she's always speaking in her accent, her southern accent. Uh, and different ones of you, some of you from New England, and you say, I'm going to park the car, and, you know, whatever your accent may be from whatever country you're at or whatever, we have accents, right, based upon where we're from, right? I love what John Piper said. He said, the accent of hell is complaining and grumbling. And the accent of heaven is rejoicing. I thought, oh, Jesus, that is full of truth, isn't it? And you know what? Rather than being joyful, I hear a lot of people complaining. We're more in a habit of grumbling and complaining than we are in the habit of rejoicing. Can anybody say amen? Or, oh my, whatever applies to you. All right, let's go to the number two. Second habit. Number two is Pray consistently. Pray consistently. In verse 17, it says, pray continually. Or we know that the King James Version says what? Three words there. What? Simple words. What? Pray without ceasing. And immediately people say, how in the world do you expect me to do that? There is nothing that is possible about that word. That's only because you don't understand what it means. The language there literally means praying without interruption. It has to do with a constant attitude of life that I believe should be habitual, by the way, where you are in the mode, in the attitude of communion with God on a daily basis. That's very interesting when you do a little word study on that idea of without ceasing or or continually. The word there uh, was used in classical Greek to speak of someone who had a chronic cough. Y'all been there? Maybe some of you are there right now uh, with all this uh, pollen around. But you know what I'm saying? When, you're, when you have that cough, it's like, I, don't, I can't do anything to stop this cough. Uh, I, I'm just, it doesn't take anything. All of a sudden, it gets me coughing. And once I start coughing, I'm just coughing, 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 coughing. It's incessant. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That is the word used to describe our prayers. Constantly, continually, 
It's also used in, in the classical Greek language to speak of, of repeated military attacks. You get one attack, and it's like you get a one wave, and then there's another attack, you, another attack, and that's the word describing here. It has to do with the idea of being without interruption. Uh, so what does it mean really then for us to pray without ceasing or to pray continually? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that we spend the entire day on our knees praying and avoiding and engaging with any other activity or task. If you did that, you'd lose your job. So listen, Christians, this is no uh, excuse for you to go to work and say, oh, by the way, I'm supposed to be praying continually, so no, I, no, I can't do that job right now. I'm praying continually. Doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean that at all. What it does mean is having this attitude, staying in a community position where we're continually communing and interacting with God actually all day, all day long as we move from task to task. As you wash the dishes, you can just stay in an attitude of communing with God. Sometimes we refer to this as practicing God's presence, practicing God's presence. Will you just try to start developing a habit of practicing God's presence? It won't keep you from doing your work. In fact, it may make you work better. It won't keep you from focusing on, on, on reading your assignment for school. You may actually get more out of it. It won't keep you from, from doing whatever analytical task or physical task or whatever it is that you do during the day or taking care of your baby or changing your diaper. In fact, that'll probably cause you to rejoice a little bit if you pray more about it. But pray consistently. This is a Christian habit. It's a command. It is a command. And the idea is it's not just obviously by the very adding of the language here. It's not just pray, but it's pray and pray and pray and pray. And yes, we should all have times that we have devotional life where it's just totally focused prayer. We should have times where we're interceding and praying and going through our personal uh, prayer life. But we also should enlarge our entire life where we understand this is just this should just be daily Christian living. I'm just staying in communion with God. Amen? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that make life a whole lot more enjoyable for you? All right. It's kind of like someone who's uh, a way I might illustrate. It's kind of like being on the phone. I know I've seen some of you do this. You're on the phone. You have it plugged into your ear. Or you've got it on speaker. And, and you're doing all these other things. You know what I'm talking about? You're doing all these other things. At the same time, you're listening. You're carrying on this conversation over here. And, and it would be just like you with God, just keeping him on the line. Just keep the phone on all the time. Just keep him on the line. Just don't turn it on, turn it off. Just keep it on. And that way you can go on, do what you need to do, but just keep him on the line. Isn't that a good illustration? All right, number three, be thankful. Verse 18, be thankful. The scripture says, give thanks in all circumstances. This is speaking of a radical gratitude, according to, I, I, I love how, I love how Rick Warren says, he said, he said, this speaks of a radical gratitude. I think as Christians, we ought to be filled with a radical gratitude in our lives. Uh, again, this is in contrast to a complaining negativity, but we ought to be thankful. Somehow we think that that only belongs in November. Oh, we're thankful in November. Football season in November and Turkey. Ah, we're thankful then. The rest of the year, we, we don't have to be thankful. 
Look, God says we need to be thankful all the time in all circumstances. And you might say, well, what in the world would fuel Thanksgiving when I'm in the midst of all this stuff I'm living with? I've got discouragement. I've got recurring disaster in my life. There's death. There's discouragement, disappointment, disease. I've got all this stuff. How can I be a thankful, grateful person? Because of perspective. It all gets back to perspective. If you have a perspective on life that says God is in control of my life and you're surrendering to his control, it'll change the way you view things. And all of a sudden, you'll find that your attitude can change as you change your perspective on life. How many of you know different people can look at the same thing and have a different view of it? It all, it all has to do with what? What the angle, what the perspective is. And so what God wants us to do is change our perspective. I also want to point out that this scripture does not say, notice carefully, it does not say give thanks for all circumstances. You might say, what's... That's just one word. What's the big deal? It's a huge deal. Huge. Because a lot of people think that this means, okay, that means everything that goes on in my life is from God, and I just need to be thankful for it and just go on. No, 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 no. There's things in life that aren't from God. Come on. Wake up. Realize. I mean, we, we live in the midst of all kind of stuff and circumstances in your life and events in your life and things going on in your life. Some of them are orchestrated by Satan himself. The Bible is not telling you to be thankful for cancer. You say, yeah, but I have cancer. Fine, let's pray. Let's pray for you. Let's help you understand how to, how to lay hold of God's word. Let's pray for healing. Let's pray for recovery. Let's do whatever we need to do. But don't be thankful for it. Just be thankful in it. Do you see the difference? So, you know, someone comes and and does something mean to my family, I'm not supposed to be thankful for that. Why would I be thankful for abuse? Why would I be thankful for violence or harm? No, no, that doesn't make any sense at all. But what does make sense is being thankful in the midst of it. Did you know that you can you can be thankful in the middle of whatever circumstance comes your way? Doesn't matter how bad, doesn't matter what's caused by people, and a lot of the junk that goes on in our life is caused by people. Come on, someone say amen. People! cause us a lot of these things but there's no excuse we're not given any room here we're told by the lord as a command do what be thankful how great how grateful are you when people are causing you trouble how grateful and thankful are you i tell you all it takes is for you to to spend some time with people that don't have life as fortunate as you why don't you just go spend time in a burn ward for a couple of days why don't you travel to another culture that doesn't have the blessings we have? You'll come back. I promise. Now, you may forget it in a little while. When you come back, you'll go, oh, my God, I'm thankful for the United States of America. You see that big flag at the airport and you go, "Woo! I'm so thankful I'm back in America. Hallelujah for my freedom here. But we need to be thankful on a continual, habitual basis. Thankful in, not for. Only God has the ability to turn lemons into lemonade. Am I right? On the other side of those clouds, on the other side of that, which looks like darkness to you, all you need to do is climb up above those clouds, and guess what you're going to see? The sun is shining. The sun is shining. You just have to change your perspective. 
Are you ready for me now, number four? You ready for this? Number four. And these are all kind of linked uh, right in together with one another. And, and, and yet, there's a little bit of a, what I would just call a little bit of a, of a uh, division between the first three and then the last number here. And, and I like the phrase that uh, the Holy Spirit inserted there after number three, after be thankful, it says, it says, in the, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't think that just has to do with being thankful. I think it's actually an inclusive phrase that has to do with all those things we just talked about and probably also uh, relates to the things that are following. But there is a little bit of division between the first three and then the last four. The first three are clearly personal, aren't they? Is it my personal life? The last four really relate more broadly to corporate life as a body of believers or to the church. I suggest to you that we're going to apply them today both corporately and as individuals because I think they're applicable in that way. So let's look at number four. Number four is keep the spirit burning. Keep the spirit burning. Some of you say, well, what do you mean keep the spirit burning? Verse 19 says, don't quench the spirit. The word there, quench, literally means, it's a word that suggests putting out a fire. Now, anybody here is a good Boy Scout, Girl Scout, you know there's a right and a wrong way to put out a fire. Am I right? So this is the idea of putting out a fire, making sure that you put it out and you're doing everything you can to keep that fire from reflaming and being a problem. But in the New Testament, fire, the Holy Spirit is spoken of as fire. It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit, one of many. We, we, we see that in Acts chapter 2. We see it in other places where we're talking about the fire of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that God when, thinks the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of you and upon you as a Christian, you need to think of it as fire. But the idea here is we're to do what with the fire? Keep it burning. This is a good kind of fire. This is a positive fire. This is a Holy Spirit fire. And just imagine the fact that, man, sometimes you just need to think about that. Lord, I just thank you. I've got the fire of God in me. And start spreading it around a little bit. Spread that fire around. Catch some other things on fire while you're at it. Don't do anything in your life to quench it, to subside it, to put it out, to limit it. No. Here, what we need to do is develop it and encourage it. How do you do that? Ephesians chapter 5 tells us we ought to be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Notice once again, even in Ephesians 5, that's a command. It's not optional. Be filled, and also the language suggests what? Be filled continually, over and over again. In other words, it needs to become a habit. How do you keep from putting out the Spirit's fire? Stay regularly filled with the Holy Spirit. If you'll do that in your life and be filled continually with the Spirit, you'll find yourself valuing the fire of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't stifle what the work of the Holy Spirit is in your life. Let it, let it burn and let it burn brightly. Uh, I remember in 1971, I, I was just a good Baptist boy, didn't know anything but knew Jesus as my Savior and had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And ever since then, I've made it a practice in my life to develop a habit of remaining filled with the Spirit on a daily basis. One of the things I always pray for is, Lord, fill me again. Fill me afresh. You say, well, why do you have to keep praying that? Why do you have to keep asking that? Because we leak. Anybody else here leak? 
I don't think it's just me because we leak. And we have to remain filled, and that means controlled by the Holy Spirit. The fifth habit we want to look at is, I simply call this, when God speaks, listen. When God speaks, listen. Verse 20 says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Another uh, translation says, don't despise prophesying. Now, contextually, this is speaking about a corporate experience. When there is a prophecy, prophetic utterance means a word from God spoken at the, at the moment for a specific purpose. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that the purpose of prophecy in the church is for encouragement. It's for consolation, for comfort. It's for exhortation. It's for strengthening. That's the purpose of prophecy. If it doesn't do that, it's not of God. Now, I'm fully aware that there are many groups, many churches, many denominations, and all kinds of groups and people who, who don't believe that prophecy is for today. I personally believe, and as a church, we hold to the fact that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still available and should be operative today. And yet, out of fear, out of sometimes confusion, sometimes out of wrong teaching, some churches will actually restrict where prophecy is not allowed. In fact, many will actually translate that word in a different way. But I suggest to you that prophecy, as you saw exhibited this morning in this service, should be a normal spiritual operation that takes place in a local church. It's not like it has to be done at every service, but we always need to be ready and willing to hear a prophetic message that is from the Holy Spirit, coming through His people, prompted by the Spirit, and we don't need to despise that. We don't need to shut it down. The language there actually means to uh, don't downgrade it. I know a lot of people that are downgrading the gifts of the Spirit. But I believe what we ought to do is encourage it. Encourage it. And you'll see he balances this out in just a moment. May I expand this idea of, of God speaking to a personal level? In addition to God, the Holy Spirit speaking to maybe a corporate, a body of believers, something that's for us, he also wants to speak to you. We need to work on the habit of listening to the Spirit's voice. I just returned from China. My primary assignment when I was there, um, several different groups asked me if I would teach on hearing the voice of the Lord. Some of them had never, ever, ever considered the fact that God might be able to speak to them. They were amazed. Like, you mean God would speak to me? And I share with them John 10, 27, that says, my, Jesus said, my sheep hear and recognize my voice. If you're one of his sheep, you have a capacity he places on the inside of you to know his voice. Why would he put that capacity in you if he didn't have the intention of speaking? Does that make any sense at all? No. God wants to speak. Listen, communion with God is two-way. In my relationship with Carrie, if I do all the talking... It's rarely that case. It's, it's the other side. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me back up. In my relationship with Carrie, if Carrie's doing all the talking... Is that true fellowship? No. We both have to communicate. It's a two-way street, right? Good fellowship, good communication relationship is two-way street. But we don't treat God that way. We do all the talking. Little, but we do it all. 
Lord, I don't have a lot of time. I'm on the way to work now, but bless so-and-so, bless so-and-so. Take care of me, my needs, and me. give me my daily bread. I'm out of time. God bless you. Good day. Good night. Done. That's it. Have you ever thought maybe about praying and then just saying, I'm just going to be still listening for a little bit. Lord, what are you saying to me? When God speaks, listen. Listen. Next, number six, test everything. Hang on to what's good. Verse 21. But test them all. What do you think that's referring to? The word but there is a connection that suggests what? It's talking about what? Those prophecies, see? But test them all and hold on to what is good. So from a corporate standpoint, it's saying what? When there's a prophetic utterance, it must be tested. It must be vetted with Scripture and with what the Holy Spirit is doing in the service. And I just want you to know, hopefully maybe it ministers some sense of safety and security to you. But there is always testing going on here. Our leaders are testing, listening and testing to make sure anything that's spoken publicly in here, it's being tested. But on a personal level, you also need to test what you hear because maybe you had too much pizza last night and you're hearing something that's not from the Holy Spirit. Every dream you have is not of God. Every vision you have is not from God. So you have to what? Test it. 1 John chapter 4 says we ought to what? Test all the spirits. Test every spirit. Because there's a lot of weirdness out there among you. Test it. How do we test it? We test what we hear with the Word of God and with the Holy Spirit. We test everything we hear. So test everything. And if it's God, if it's good, hold on to it. Hold on to it. New believers, existing believers, mature believers, we all need to do this. Number seven. The last one I'll share. Seventh habit is stay away from evil. Just thought I'd leave you on a real positive note. Just build you up real big. Don't blame me. Blame Paul. Verse 22 says, reject every kind of evil. One uh, One version says, avoid evil of every kind. Now, notice it just doesn't say resist evil. What does it say? Avoid it. Stay away from it. Keep your distance. A lot of Christians today, uh, they're they're tempted. They're put in this situation where they're dealing with wrong or unethical practices or evil of some kind, and they want to play with it, toy with it, mess with it, Oh, I can be around it and not slip off the side. Listen, you know what God's advice is? Stay clear. When you're raising your kids, teach them to stay clear. Don't put themselves in a circumstance where they might be tempted or they might get into trouble. Just reject and stay away. Avoid evil. When the Apostle Paul was challenging young Pastor Timothy about how to handle youthful lust, did he say, well, when you have youthful lust, pray about it. Just just say no. Is that what he said? What did he say? Run! Flee! The Greek word there is fuego, like run as if a wild animal was chasing you. 
That's what the word means. Run as if a wild animal is chasing you. Boy, if we would run away and avoid evil more, we, we'd, be, we'd have better habits, wouldn't we? Amen? So the scripture tells us repeatedly. And by the way, when it says uh, reject every kind of evil, uh, it literally means every kind of species of evil. I thought that interesting. There are a lot of species of evil. I mean, we got more species of evil today than ever before. All kinds of them. But we're supposed to resist, reject, avoid all of them. You know, it's just like, it's like a, it's like a flu bug. If, uh, if someone invited you over for dinner to their home, and they said, would you like come over and have fellowship with us? Oh, by the way, uh, our family, for the last two weeks, we've been experiencing the flu. I've had it. Husband's had it. All the kids have had it. But, but anyway, I just want to invite you all over for dinner. Come on over and share dinner. What would you do? You'd say, um, if you were smart, you'd say, I tell you, you know, I really appreciate your hospitality. Can we take a rain check on that? A couple of weeks, I, uh, we don't want to risk catching the flu. Because like at that point, it's still in their house. You go to their house and guess what? You have a likelihood and a probability of catching the flu. Because you're what? You're exposed to it. And that's what God's trying to help. Just don't be stupid. Don't do. My wife always gets upset when I use the word stupid, but sometimes we're just stupid. <laughs> Christians are stupid sometimes. And they act stupid. So let's be wise and let's stay away from evil. All right. Now I've given you seven from this, these texts that, that, that we read here in 1 Thessalonians 5. I picked out seven habits that'll help you be a highly effective Christian. And I promise you, if we'll make these habits, one day you're going to hear the phrase from Jesus, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. Would you stand to your feet with me? I hope that there's something this morning that resonates deeply within you. There's something in the message today that you can say, that spoke to my heart. Would you raise your hand if you said, there was something I see, a habit I need to work on. If you can't raise your hand, you slept through my entire message. <laughs> If you couldn't find one of the seven, you slept through the whole thing, all right? So I want to pray for you. And then Patricia's just going to come and dismiss you with a blessing. But I want to pray for you. Can we take personal God's Word? Uh, we don't, I sure don't teach or preach for my own entertainment. We, we share God's Word so that we can be doers of it. Amen? So would you just agree with me right now? Let's put this into practice. Let me pray for you. God, give us the grace to walk out what you've made clear to us in your word today. Lord, we confess that we don't always rejoice when we should. We confess, Lord, sometimes we're grumbling rather than being grateful. We admit, Lord, that sometimes we're just not tuning in our ears to hear what your spirit is saying. Lord, forgive us for when we're falling short. We thank you you're full of mercy and grace. And I'm praying, Lord, that you would help grow us up Help us to be more consistent in our spiritual habits. We pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. I'm going to ask that our prayer teams would come forward. They're going to be positioned right here to pray for you and any needs that you may have today. Please come and allow them to pray. Patricia's going to come, and as she, pray, as she just speaks a blessing today, then you'll be dismissed. Well, amen. Such a rich, rich word, Pastor. Thank you. 
And I've come to understand just before I speak a blessing and dismiss us for this day. We are privileged when we come into the house of God and have the opportunity to receive his word. I'm currently in a stint in between March and April where I have grand jury duty. And what that means is when they call, I have to go. But what it also means, what I'm used to, which is a what is an electronic device I can't have. So I was able to take a little notebook in with me in between the different trials. And I turned a page in my little notebook. And it was lessons I had gotten from Sunday service. I absolutely needed it. We don't, we can't take what God gives us for granted. Please understand, I'm not saying that you do. But sometimes we get familiar and used to. And that particular time when I opened that little notebook, it was such a life-giving word to me that I was able to continue to go and move on. And as a reminder, we are no longer slaves to fear. We are children of God. And understand that you individually, you are an offering. God has great need of you. He has such a need for you. Way over there in the corner, he needs you. So don't be surprised this week when he orchestrates meetings, when he interrupts our busy day, and when he says, I'll use your voice. I'll use your hand. Thank you for surrendering your life. You are an offering. Therefore, our God who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory. It's to the only wise God, our Savior, all glory, all majesty, all dominion, all power this week be yours. So we go in the authority and in the strength of the matchless name of Jesus. You are dismissed.